0: Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom, I'm Dr. Noreen Jacks. Welcome to Bible Interact Presents. Thank you for joining me for today's broadcast. I was blessed beyond measure as I researched the lesson that I'm going to share with you today. I hope and pray it will inspire you to greater appreciation of God's Word as it has done for me. Our topic today is a holy book like no other. I'm referring to the Bible, of course. I am going to share with you a most inspiring history of the Masoretic Scribes and their invaluable contribution to Scripture. First of all, who were the Masoretes? For those of you who may not be aware, the Masoretes were Jewish Torah scholars and scribes who lived between the 5th and 10th centuries in Tiberias, along the shore of the beautiful Sea of Galilee. The Masoretes were the guardians of God's Word, the term Masoretes comes from the word mazorah, meaning tradition. The Masoretes worked to correct the errors that had crept into the Hebrew Scriptures during the Babylonian captivity, endeavoring to prevent such errors from occurring in the future. Their work became known as the Masoretic Text. It was the complete Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, as it is referred to in Judaism, The term Tanakh, however, is not a word. Rather, it's an acrostic with the Hebrew letters Tav, Nun, Kof, T-N-K, which represent Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim. Now, translated, that means the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings, the incomplete Hebrew Bible, as it is known today. The Masoretes created a vowel system that preserved the Hebrew pronunciation the stress accents, and the cantillation marks for singing. In my opinion, the Masoretes should be applauded loudly by Christians and Jews alike for their enormous contribution in preserving the sacred scriptures. Hebrew is a consonantal language. That means, of course, no vowels would make it very difficult for non-native speakers to read. And according to tradition, the letters must be a hair's distance apart no letters touching, so the letters could not be moved to squeeze in vowels. So many systems were devised through the ages, but none of them worked well enough to stick until the Masoretes came along devising a system of diacritical marks, which we refer to as pointings, and these were signs that indicated the vowel sounds of the letters. This is an ingenious system of what I refer to as dots and dashes, literally placed over, under, around, and through the letters. This system made the letters become pronounceable while remaining unmoved. Absolutely brilliant. So you might be wondering why the Hebrew letters are so important to the Jewish people. Well, the letters of the Hebrew Aleph base, the Hebrew alphabet, are actually regarded as sacred. And the Hebrew tongue is known as Lashon HaKodesh, the Holy Tongue. According to Jewish tradition, the Aleph base predates creation. The belief is that God spoke the world into existence with Hebrew words comprised of Hebrew letters. So that would make the Aleph base the building blocks of creation, the very protoplasm of the universe in Jewish thought. Hebrews one verse three reads and Yeshua upholds all things through the word of his power. Hallelujah. Unlike English letters, Hebrew letters have numeric value. For example, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, which are the first three letters of the Hebrew alphabet, have the numerical values of 1, 2, and 3. Tradition claims that the letters, numeric equivalents, and forms are all divinely ordained. According to tradition, every letter in scripture must be perfect, for very good reason, because God and his word are perfect. That leaves no room for error, omission, or distortion. In order to prevent errors, copying had to be done in direct sunlight by scribes with the very best eyes. Torah scribes must know more than 4,000 regulations for copying the scriptures. Surprisingly, copying small scrolls for mezuzah or tefillin require nearly as many laws as the complete Torah or the complete Tanakh. For those of you who may not be familiar with these terms, the mezuzah is a small scroll in a decorative case mounted on the doorpost of Jewish homes and businesses, and the tefillin are small black leather pouches worn on the forehead and the arm of observant Jewish males. Every single letter of mezuzah and tefillin, like Torah, must be precise. The scribes were master counters as well as master copyists. They were also known as soferim from the verb sofar, which means to write, count, or number. A space of nine consonants was necessary between each section, and there were three lines between every book of the Bible. The scribes, the master counters, counted the number of words, letters, and verses in each book and they even calculated the middle word and the middle letter on every page. This was an improved counting system through the years, and the latter scribes improved it even more so, and this helped to reduce the number of scribal errors. According to the Talmud, the final book of Torah, the book of Deuteronomy, must terminate with a full length of text. This was a tribute to Moses, Israel's revered lawgiver. The book of Deuteronomy concludes with, Joshua's eloquent eulogy to Moses. It's recorded in Deuteronomy 34, verses 10 and 12, which reads, Since that time no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face for all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants and all his land, and for all the mighty power, and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Well, the copyists were very meticulous in everything that they did. They uh, began their morning with a mikvah immersion before commencing work, and they pronounced or sung every word aloud before copying it. This was a profound act of worship on their part. No letter, no word could be written from memory, not even a yod, the smallest letter, the size of an English comma. Yeshua mentioned the yod and the tittle in Matthew 5.18. A tittle is a decorative horn or crown on the Hebrew letters. The passage reads, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke, meaning translated yod or tittle in other translations, shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Did you notice that emphatic adverb for truly I say unto you? The Lord was trying to get a point across. His word is perfect, and everything in it is is important. The yod symbolized the omnipresence of God in Jewish thought. It was the first letter of the name Yaakov, meaning Jacob, Yisrael for Israel and, of course, the first letter in the name Yeshua. Careless omission of even a yod warranted the destruction of the entire scroll. A scribe would wipe his pen before writing the sacred name Elohim, one of the many names of God. He did this to prevent contamination. In order to avoid blotting, the holy name could not be written with a pen that had recently been dipped in ink. The scribe's pen was a feather quill from a ritually clean bird, normally a goose or a turkey. A scribe would then wash his entire body before writing the unutterable name of of Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. In Hebrew, the letters are Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh. This term is read as Adonai by Jews. This is called the Tetragrammaton, a big fat compound greek word that simply means four letters tetras is four and grama is letter the pronunciation of the tetragrammaton is uncertain because the name was not vocalized by the jews for hundreds of years out of respect for god feeling his name was too holy to be spoken the scribes were forbidden to speak to anyone while copying the Word of God, including a king. If a king entered the chambers, he would simply have to wait for an appropriate time to talk. If a copy did not agree with the original text, it was ceremonially burned or buried, and the same strict standard is observed by Torah scribes to our present day. I'll give you a brief list of some of the scribal errors that were most common. That they would include the accidental repetition of a word, or the transposition of a letter, or erroneous substitution of a similar-sounding word, or a combination of two separate words into one word, or even the division of a single word into two words. Writing a letter once when it could have been written should have been written twice was another problem, as well as writing a letter twice when it should have been written only once. Now, I remind you that even one minuscule error warranted destruction of the entire scroll. Now, I'll tell you a little bit about the production of ink. Uh, This was a special compound made from the soot of an oil lamp mixed with oil, honey, vinegar, water, and gallnuts. Gallnuts are small, hard lumps created when certain insects bore into wood. The goal was to create the blackest ink that would endure the passage of time. And the ink was made in small amounts to assure freshness. Now, the production of parchment was also a major effort. The scrolls were written on parchment made from skins of kosher animals, meaning a cow, a sheep, a goat, a deer, or a gazelle. The tanning was performed by guild craftsmen, Many trade secrets remain a mystery even today. The fresh skin was washed and stretched on wooden frames, shaved as thin as possible. Then it was soaked for several days in a solution of salt, barley flour, gall nuts, and lime water. Then the skin was rinsed and stretched again, dried on a flat surface, and polished smooth with a pumice stone. This process helped to whiten the skin. Again, the goal was to make the thinnest, whitest surface possible to contrast the darkest ink possible. As you can imagine, only the finest pieces of each skin were used. That means there was much waste. This was an extravagant offering unto the Lord. The pieces were joined with heavy linen thread and or thinly sliced animal tendons. And invisible stitches were required to put this together. That was one stitch every six lines of text. Invisible stitching. Parchment attracts handprints, so the scroll cannot be touched and it is rolled by handles. The Dead Sea Scrolls support the Masoretic text and this is a very, very exciting revelation. The Dead Sea Scrolls are on display at the Shrine of the Book at the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. If you have never seen this display, or if you've never been to Israel, please contact me at noreenjacks.com or bibleinteract.com. We would love to take you on one of our tours to the Holy Land. Now, the discovery of the much earlier Dead Sea Scrolls confirmed the scribal accuracy of the Masoretic text. The Dead Sea Scrolls were written long before the Masoretic Text, perhaps 500 to 1,000 years. The scrolls were discovered in 1947 in a Qumran cave near the northwest shore of the Dead Sea. The scrolls number 972. They were considered the greatest manuscript discovery in history. And talk about God's perfect timing. This amazing discovery occurred just months before Israel became a a nation on May 14, 1948. It's as though God confirmed and restored his word to his people just before he restored his people to the land. What an amazing God we serve. The scrolls were withheld from a wider scope of textual experts for many years. I won't get into that topic today. That's for another time. The scrolls were written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek during the Second Temple period. They include biblical manuscripts, apocryphal writings, which simply means hidden or secret, and pseudographical writings, which means falsely inscribed, uh, another big, fat, compound Greek word. The idea of falsely inscribed writing would be a claim of authorship being unfounded. For example, in... uh, early days of the church, uh, an individual might sign the name of an apostle or a respected church father to give credibility to his writing, which could very well have been heretical. So here's the idea of falsely inscribed. The scrolls are invaluable for their religious, historical, and cultural significance. A collection includes the entire collection of the Dead Sea Scrolls includes fragments or complete copies of the entire Hebrew Bible with the exception of the book of Esther. We have evidence from history now of the veracity and the unity of the Masoretic text and the scriptures. I have an exciting quote to share with you from A Survey of Old Testament Introduction authored by Gleason Archer. Even though the two copies of Isaiah discovered in Qumran Cave 1 near the Dead Sea in 1947 were a thousand years earlier than the oldest dated manuscript previously known, A.D. 980, they proved to be word-for-word identical with the standard Hebrew Bible and more than 95% of the text. The 5% of variation consisted chiefly in obvious slips of the pen, Variations and spelling—is that not exciting? We have an equally exciting quotation from apologists Norman L. Geisler and William E. Nix, who write, "Quote." In one chapter of 166 words, Isaiah 53, there's only one word, three letters in question. After a thousand years of transmission, and this word does not significantly change the meaning of the passage. Hallelujah. God's word is eternal. And the Masoretic Text and the Septuagint are also in remarkable unity. God has guarded the integrity of his word the Masoretic Text is truly a proof that God's Word is divine. Uh, The Dead Sea Scrolls were hidden for 2,000 years, protected by simple pottery jars and the arid desert climate. God even kept them safe from the marauding Roman army. Textual scholar Dr. Ernst Wernhwein says the scrolls may have been concealed and hidden for thousands of years, but God did not forget them. Today they bear testimony to the providential hand in the keeping of the scriptures. So unquestionably, we have undeniable reliability and accuracy of the Bible. Solid evidence that the Bible has remained textually pure throughout the ages, Much credit for this goes to the Masoretes and to the other scribes who preceded and followed them for their outstanding contribution. The scriptures were preserved even unto our day for our benefit. Praise God. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord stands forever. The Masoretes and the scribes who preceded and followed them demonstrated incredible dedication to the preservation of God's word. Personally, I am overwhelmed with gratitude by their attention to minute detail. My appreciation of the word of God increased exponentially through this study, and I hope yours has also. I see prophetic messianic symbolism in the Torah scrolls, The Torah, as I mentioned, was copied onto costly scrolls made from kosher animal skins. This speaks of a blood sacrifice. Innocent animals lost their lives in order to proclaim the eternal word of Almighty God. This reminds me of another innocent lamb. The lamb of God, the unblemished lamb, the lamb without spot or wrinkle. The word made flesh who surrendered his life while proclaiming the good news, while proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So great is the love of God. Speaking of the love of God, I want to share a stanza with you from a 90 stanza poem that was written in 1050 by Meir Ben Yitzhak Naharai, who was a Jewish cantor in the city of Worms, Germany. The stanza comes from a Jewish poem, the Hadamut, H-A-D-D-A-M-U-T I spell it so that you can look that up if you like some further information. This was sent to me as I was preparing this session. A pastor by the name of Frederick Lehman composed additional verses for one of the stanzas in 1917, and his daughter, Claudia Mays, arranged the music for the beautiful hymn the Church Knows as the Love of God. However, I had never heard of this song until it was sent to me as I prepared. Now, I'm going to recite the poem for you. Be particularly mindful of the final refrain, which begins with the phrase, Could we with ink the ocean fill? And I will remind you when we come to that portion. This is the love of God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. When years of time shall pass away, and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, when men who here refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure shall still endure, all measureless and strong, redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints' and angels' song. Now listen closely to the words of the refrain. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. What awesome words. Oh, there's such an anointing on them. They're so powerful. And they fit the theme of my message to a tea. Did you notice how the composer discussed ink, parchment, writing, quills, scribes, and scrolls? The very things that I've been sharing with you in this session today. Even more amazing to me is the fact that a friend emailed this hymn to me as I was researching this amazing subject. I was in awe of God, feeling as though he had put his signature, his steel of approval, his divine timing on my lesson. I truly hope and pray this lesson and the message from the love of God has been a blessing to you. Our God is mighty, and yes, his word endures forever. The words of the prophet Isaiah are echoed in the New Testament by the apostle Peter. In 1 Peter 1, verses 24 to 25, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Psalm 119 is a devotional on the Word of God. Not surprisingly, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. I encourage you to read that psalm today with new appreciation for God's precious love letter to humanity. The Word of God is is man's road map to heaven. I want to read, in closing, a brief portion. This is Psalm 119, verse 9. How shall a young man cleanse his ways? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart have I sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told you all the ordinance of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. As you read through this lengthy psalm, pay attention to the terms that describe the oracle. Of God's revelation to man, terms like word, law, statute, ordinance, command, ways, decrees, precepts, testimonies—I've been told these terms appear about uh, more than a hundred and forty times—and it just emphasizes over and over the importance of God's word to our heart. It truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And I ask you, I urge you to keep the light burning in your life and to share God's precious light with others. I hope you'll join us for our next broadcast. And until then, check us out on BibleInteract.com. And we would love to hear your feedback and tell us how you're growing in the Lord. And until we meet again, I truly pray God's blessings on you and your loved ones. And I pray that you will remain strong and mighty in the faith and the Holy Spirit will bless your life coming in and going out. So until we meet again, I say unto you, Shalom.